The scripture reading for today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth and with all of the saints who are in the whole of Acacia, grace to you and peace from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the, comf with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's uh, such an honor to be with you today. Uh, today's sermon comes from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, as was just read, the Apostle Paul's treatise on weakness. <clears throat> and in this book, uh, Paul is explaining to uh, his readers that there is a power that has been unleashed into the world that to the human eye looks like weakness, but in fact is powerful to comfort and heal, restore and transform people and communities. And it is the power of the gospel, unleashed by the God who hung on a cross in weakness, but rose in resurrection power. And so that is the theme of the letter, but today we're, we're focusing in on the beginning of the letter, and we'll consider our passage under these three headings. Our afflictions, their purpose, our comfort, and hope. So our afflictions, their purpose, and our comfort and hope. Our afflictions. You know, to be honest, I dread preaching sermons on this topic because it makes me tremble. Um, maybe I can preach to you about faith or about movement or about evangelism or spiritual warfare. But affliction, suffering. You know, I, like, like the next person, love comfort too much for this topic to be pleasant. But this topic is necessary, as necessary as Brussels sprouts is for a good healthy diet, I guess, or as necessary as it is for, for a parent to hold down their child when the doctor is administering their vaccine. It's super unpleasant, but necessary. And it's necessary because life is hard. Life is hard, and this year and a half, past year and a half has shown us, has brought us 
that to light even more. That we live in a broken world, that uh, things break down, our bodies break down, relationships break down and sometimes end. Our finances dry up. Sometimes we lose our jobs. <clears throat> Life is full of difficulties. And we all have troubles. We all have sorrows. What are you going through this morning? What, are you what have you gone through this week? We're all going, you know, whether we're going through um, a season of dryness in our relationship with God or in some relationship outside, if, if, whether we're going through a breakup, whether we're, we've lost somebody, whether we've lost our jobs, what is your heart heavy with this morning? So whether we're a Christian or not, how do we rise above the inevitable afflictions of life? How do we handle the losses? How do we handle this, this, the disappointments of life? Right from the beginning of our passage, Paul acknowledges that being a Christian does not exempt us from the pains of life. He says, verse 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our affliction. All our affliction. We have afflictions. And Paul knew what he was talking about. He had just experienced this heartbreaking relational conflict with the people at Corinth. You see, he had established this church. He planted that church. And then soon after, some people in that church started talking bad about him. They, they started destroying his reputation, accusing him of starting that church so that he can benefit financially from it. And some of them said that he wasn't a real apostle and that he wasn't even a good speaker. And of course, this was painful for Paul. It was very painful. It was an affliction for him. So Paul is speaking from experience. He's ha he, he has this relational conflict. But he, we learn also from the New Testament that he has, you know, that Paul had also have, had many other experiences with difficulty. For example, he, had a, he experienced shipwrecks. He had been thrown in prison several times for his faith. He had been stoned and left for death, dead at least once. He had been caught in the middle of riots several times. He had been rejected by all kinds of people, including his best friends, with constant financial problems. And we also learned that he had health problems and struggled with depression. Can you believe that? Look at verse 8. It says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. He said, we despaired of life itself. I mean, don't you love the realness of the Bible? Here's this man that had seen the resurrected Jesus. He had had an encounter with him. He had seen, he had had visions of heaven. And yet was depressed. Because of all the afflictions, of all the things that were going on in his life, Christians are not exempt from suffering. What are you going through today? Paul tells us that we will have afflictions in life. You see, Christianity has its feet on the ground. It's not pie in the sky or like some philosophies or religions that say that suffering, it's really an illusion. And we need to detach ourselves from the world. Christianity acknowledges that suffering is real. What you're going through is real. 
We are in a broken world, a world post-Genesis 3, where things don't work as they should, as they were intended to. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. Unlike the naturalistic or secular worldview, which leaves us with the reality of a world filled with suffering, but in which we're ultimately alone. Not Christianity. Christianity tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our affliction. The Bible doesn't say that we won't have difficult times, but that we won't go through them alone. And what that means is that sometimes weeping is appropriate. Sometimes mourning is appropriate because the world is full of sadness. Even Jesus himself at the loss of a friend wept. When he saw his friends crying, he cried. And God doesn't expect you to be happy all the time. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel like crying when you experience sadness or brokenness or injustice. It's right to feel like crying. And God doesn't expect you to smile in the storms of life. Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, there's a right time for everything on the earth, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. God doesn't say that you won't have difficulty, but that you won't go through it alone. Point number two, the purpose of our affliction. Verse 3 and 4, if you, if you look at it with me, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Now, and then it says, So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Verse 6 says, For we are afflicted, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Verse 8 and 9 says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Egypt, but they, the afflictions, served to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see what Paul is doing here in these passages? He is telling us that our afflictions have a purpose, so that it is for, but they served. Our afflictions have a purpose. God is doing something in the midst of our pain. And before we look at what those purposes may be, let me just say that I realize that in the middle of the pain, if you're going through something, you could, I, I get it, you, you could care less about purposes. Who cares about that? I just want my child back. Or I'm, I want my friend healed. Or I, I just want to be able to provide for my family. I could care less about purposes. I get that. But maybe the purposes can help. Allow God to help you get through the pain. And perhaps knowing that your pain has purpose and meaning may help you in that process. So what are the purposes of our afflictions? Here are some that we can glean from Scripture and from our passage. And some of these points were highlighted to me by a pastor, Pastor Warren, who, who gave a talk after a uh, loss of his, of his son. But... These are things that we can glean from Scripture and our passage. There are six things that I'm going to point out. Number one, God uses 
our affliction to, give, to get us closer to, to himself. You know, pain has a way of taking away the distractions. Pain has a way of getting our attention, of focusing us on what really matters. And if you allow it to, it can drive you deeper into God and make you a sweeter person, a humbler person, a more understanding person. Sure, pain can also make you hard and bitter, but if you allow it to, it can drive you closer to God. In fact, if you allow it to, you'll find that he's already there, close to you, in your pain. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. When you are in an affliction, you may not feel him, but his word tells you he is there. As a pastor once said, what you feel and what is real are not the same thing. Not everything that is real do you feel, and not everything that you feel is real. He is near the brokenhearted. God is close to us even if we don't feel him. We're not alone in our pain, and he comes to us tenderly like a father. Our passage says so. He said In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He is our Father who comforts us. And the word comfort comes from the root word that we get, you know, the, the root word is to come alongside. And that is where we get the word comforter. And do you know who the comforter is? The Holy Spirit. God comes alongside us by his spirit in our pain and carries us, even if we don't feel him. Even if we're angry at him because of what we're going through, he is near, like a parent that runs to their child when they're crying, or like a mother who cradles her baby when the doctor's administering the vaccine. The Lord is close to those with broken hearts. He is a friend that you can cry to, with whom you can vent, who can handle our emotions, and who is not afraid of our doubts. When our hearts are hurting, he is there. Allow your pain to drive you to God. Point number two. Our pain can teach us things about God that heal our souls. I see this uh, part in where Paul calls God the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. But also, for example, in Isaiah 53.3, where it says the Messiah, Jesus, was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knew suffering firsthand. In our pain, we viscerally understand that God gets us, that the God of the Bible is a suffering God, that he comes near, near us and suffers with us, that when we read in the book of John that Jesus was furious ticked off at death, you, you understand that he gets you. He gets your anger at whatever you're going through. When he cries at Lazarus' death, you understand that he, you understand that he cries too, that God cried too. In our pain, we understand that when we come to Jesus with our pain, he doesn't say, okay, enough of that. Okay, stop crying or get it together. He doesn't do that, but he understands you. 
he gets you. The pain that you feel in that separation, he gets. The pain that you feel in that loneliness, he gets. The pain that you feel in that rejection, he gets. And it heals us to understand that God understands us. We get a glimpse of that, and it's healing for our soul. Number three, our pain teaches us that we can rely on God. Verse 8 says of our passage, it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. You know, we have this illusion of strength when everything's going well, right? Like we think we, when everything is going okay, when everything is going according to our plans or according, according to Google Calendar, <laughs> we, we have this illusion that, you know, we're pretty strong. We have it together. But it's an illusion. When life hits, you find that your wits can't get you out of the bind, that we can't charm our way out of the pain, that our money can evaporate, that intelligence has no power in the face of certain pains. You realize what good are those things in the face of death, in the face of a catastrophe? What good are those things in the face of heartbreak? Our pain shows us that our strength is not sufficient. It helps us not rely on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. On the God who raises the dead, on the one who does the impossible, we can rely on him. That he is the only one that won't fail us, even when people with the best intentions fail us. Remember I said that Paul had experienced many difficulties, including one time his friends, his very best friends, deserted him. We find that story in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he tells us that he had been put in prison for his faith. And then in verse 16 says, at my, my first defense, no one stood with me, but everyone deserted me. And then verse 17, it says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, and I was delivered. That is, when we go through things that even our best friends can't help us or can't go with us, we learn that we can rely on God. And he won't fail you. He won't fail us. And things may not turn out like we expected them to according to our plans, but all things work together for the good of those who love him. He won't fail us. He will stand by you and strengthen you. Four, God uses our pain to help others. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. My brother and sister, there is purpose in your pain. And God doesn't want you to waste your hurt. But God uses our pain to help others. Who can better help a person going through chemotherapy than one who has gone through it themselves? Who can best help someone who lost a family member than one who has experienced a similar loss? Who can best help a person who's feeling the heartbreak of divorce than one who has walked that bitter road before? Who can best speak to the addicted than one who has experienced the tentacles of addiction themselves? God allows us to experience things 
so that we may be able to have compassion on a different level and show people God's grace in the midst of their pain and difficulty. To show that the surpassing power is not ours, but God's. God doesn't want you to waste your hurt. God comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted, the Bible says. As a pastor said once, your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. You can say, I've been there too. We think that success gives us credibility, but actually the Bible says suffering gives us credibility. And even if you haven't gone through exactly the same thing that a brother or a sister or a neighbor is going through, we can still help. Verse 11 says that one of the best ways that we can help people is by praying for them. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Who can you pray for today? Who can you come alongside by prayer? Who are you praying for? Number five, our pain shows us how important our faith community is. No pain is meant to be carried by yourself. God gives us a church family to support us. There are so many passages that speak to this, uh, to this fact. You know, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens, to comfort each other, to weep with, weep with those who weep, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to be devoted to one another. When you're carrying an affliction a burden all by yourself, you are carrying a burden that God never meant for you to carry by yourself. And boy, do I know this personally. Several, several years ago, when I was going through a very difficult time in my life, I, I, I thank God for my small group. And the fact that, I was, that God had put me in that small group is the, is the reason why I'm here. I remember my small group would come around me and pray for me, love me through my pain. My poor co-leader of that small group would spend hours with me, listening to me, praying for me, crying with me. One brother from that small, uh, small group would come and sleep over my house, my apartment, just so that I wouldn't be alone in my pain. Just, he was just there. Just be there. That's, you know, that's all they did. Just listen. Just be there. And sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. Just hold a hand. Think of Job's friends. When did they do their best comforting? <laughs> when they were just there, not even opening up their mouth, right? Who are you doing that for? Who are you, who, who are you coming alongside and just holding their hand, just being there for them? And who has that same commitment to you? How are you connected? How are you connected to the body? Perhaps you're not, you know? Perhaps you've brushed it off or it's been on your to-do list, but you've never gotten around to it. What are you waiting for? Don't wait for afflictions to come and you find yourself without the support that God intended for you to have. Get connected now. Because there's healing in the body, in community. Number six, finally, our afflictions prepare us for heaven. Pain breaks the clinging of our hearts to the world. It makes us long for the kingdom of God to come fully. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 say, For this light momentary affliction here and now 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen here, but to the things that are unseen in the kingdom of God. For the things that are seen here are transient, they pass away. But the things that are unseen in the kingdom of God are eternal. That chronic pain, that sadness, that loneliness, that loss, that problem, that stress, that pressure are getting us ready for eternity. They're making us lift up our gaze and crying out to God, Maranatha, yes, come Lord Jesus. Our pain creates a profound discontent with the brokenness of our world. And we cannot wait for our king to come. For when he comes, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. He will wipe away every tear. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For, the things, for those things will have passed away. In the words of Revelation 21. The Bible doesn't say that we won't have difficulties but that we, we, that we won't go through the difficult times by ourselves and that God is working in all of it for our good. Point number three, our comfort and hope. Look again with me at verse eight. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. The God who raises the dead. That's the foundation of Paul's comfort and hope. The God who raises the dead. The God who does the impossible. But how do we know that this is not just some wishful thinking? How do we know that this is not just some projection of grief onto some fantasy to get us through the difficulty? How do we know that this is not some crutch that we lean on? The dead are dead. How can they be raised? <laughs> oh, my friend. Paul pins his hope on something that happened in the past in history. And because this happened in the past in human history, it's a game changer. It changes everything. If it happened in history, then it verifies that God's word is true. To be specific, Paul pins his hope on the resurrection of Jesus. It is the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope and ultimate comfort. Why? Because it tells us that no matter how dark things are, how difficult how impossible. Light will break forth. Life will prevail. Love will win. Look at, verse, look, look, at, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, by the way, at that time. <laughs> then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and, la and last of all, he appeared to me also. But, 
If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you be saying that there's no resurrection of the dead? You see, some people struggle with this back in the day too. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is futile. And so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. And then he says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of the, those who have fallen asleep. Christ, the first fruits. And when he comes back, the end will come after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our hope is not wishful thinking, but absolute confidence in God's promises for the future based on his faithfulness in the past. Look at, the, look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, carrying your anguish. Look at Jesus on his way to Golgotha, carrying your cross. Look at Jesus hanging on the cross, carrying your sin. Look at Jesus dying in your place, taking your darkness. But brother and sister, look at Jesus rising from the grave, and now look at Jesus standing next to you, even in your pain, put your hope on the God who raises the dead. As Paul said, he delivered us from the deadly perils of sin, and he will deliver us in every affliction we may find ourselves today. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again, even if we don't understand what we're going through right now, even if we feel weak at the moment. He is with you. He will stand by you and give you strength because he's the God of all comfort. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are so tender. You are our sweet shepherd, Lord Jesus, who knows who, where, we're, where we are, how we're in pain. You know our difficulty, Lord. And you remind us, Lord God, that it it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mourning if we're going through difficulty. It's okay to not be smiling and happy-go-lucky happy if we're going through a storm. But that even in the midst of the storm, you are there with us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are here with us. We trust in you, even in our pain. In Jesus' name, amen.